This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Review Journal talks about hockey while watching hockey games because there is a hockey game on my television right now. As we're recording this, I just watched Sean Couturier score a goal in an exhibition for the Philadelphia Flyers. So I'm fired up. It's good to see some pucks flying around the ice again uh, there in Toronto. Uh, We're going to talk about how the Golden Knights are in Edmonton right now as part of the NHL's secure zone, the bubble, as it were, where they will soon begin playing games. We'll talk about the kind of setup that they've experienced there so far, as well as a a key person who is not in the bubble with them. Before we break that all down, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com, and Deal Dash. I also want to remind you guys to check out all our coverage at reviewjournal.com. We've got written stories every day uh, about the Knights coming from the Zooms that they're doing from Edmonton. And also, please, if you like this podcast, uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do this one. We would appreciate it. Uh, I, of course, am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights Review Journal beat reporters, joined on the line uh, by my colleague, Dave Shane. Uh, Dave, what's it like to have hockey back? Man, I'm excited. I'm about ready to run out to my garage, grab my rollerblades, go find a stick and like, you know, hit the street or something. I feel like playing. This is awesome. Yeah, it is pretty incredible and kind of surreal still to see that, you know, at least so far, the NHL appears to be pulling this off. As I said, I'm watching literally a game right now. There's two more games uh, the day that we're recording this, which is Tuesday in the Golden Knights are scheduled to play their first exhibition game Thursday against the Arizona Coyotes. So it's all happening, which is pretty nuts. And it's all happening because uh, all these teams are now part of the NHL quote-unquote secure zone, a.k.a. the hub, a.k.a. the bubble. The Golden Knights moved in on Sunday. They're at the JW Marriott uh, in Edmonton, which is right across or right next to Rogers Place, the arena in Edmonton. Uh, the NHL is using two hotels for teams, four total in Edmonton. 
As I mentioned earlier, the Knights are staying in the uh, very much more conveniently located hotel because of their high seed. It's also just uh, a nicer hotel. Uh, each player gets his own hotel room in the bubble to, of course, uh, limit the spread of COVID-19. So no roommate situation going on there. Each team also gets their own lounge uh, in the hotel as well as at uh, Rogers Place, the arena. Haven't asked those guys what it's like yet, but uh, so far from other teams, those setups have been getting pretty positive reviews. There's 14 restaurants in the bubble, including a Tim Hortons that we've already seen, which I'm sure guys have frequented quite a bit. Uh, there's movie theaters, there's uh, indoor and outdoor activity spaces, so these guys can play stuff like pool, cornhole, ping pong, basketball, uh, soccer. Uh, there's daily testing, as we already uh, had heard about, using clear technology. Uh, so if any of you guys have ever been to the airport and seen uh, those nice smiling people in the blue polo shirts trying to wave you over to uh, try their screening thing, yeah, that's clear. And apparently they also have tech that helps the NHL keep track of, uh, you know, whether guys have symptoms, uh, helps take their temperature. And then, of course, there's also a bunch of medical personnel in the bubble to help test these guys because they're getting tested every day and they're getting the results back within about 24 hours. Uh, there's also uh, a lot of practice rinks available. The Knights practiced uh, Monday as we're recording this, yesterday at Terwilligar, there we go, Recreation Center, which is about 25 minutes away uh, from their hotel. So they bus over there, practice, head on back to the hotel. A uh, lot, of, lot of interesting stuff uh, going on, of course, in the bubble. And we've had two days to kind of talk to uh, players and coach Pete DeBoer about what their kind of thoughts and experiences have been like in this kind of weird situation so far. Dave, uh, what have some, been some of your main takeaways talking to uh, guys about bubble life? I mean, the first off, or the first one is, is uh, and I'll take kind of a serious tone with this a little bit, is just like what sounds like the efficiency of everything. Um, and I'll go back to just, you know, four or five months ago and and my own thoughts and skepticism on, on whether this could all, you know, all get pulled off. I mean, I was thinking about this today, like in 20 years, somebody's going to go back and write the story about, the time that the NHL nearly played in North Dakota and New Hampshire, like that just seems like a year ago. And and yet here we are, you know, playing these games and, and we've heard about the testing and the efficiency. I think Pete DeBoer talked about, you know, they had a 45 minute window for testing and they were basically done within like 15 to 20 minutes, he said. So just for the first couple of days, it seems like kind of NHL hockey summer camp is is sort of uh is off to a good start and i i I mean i don't know how to how to explain another than that like i i know i went to a couple hockey summer camps and i'm sure you know maybe you did or you know listeners went to like a sleepaway camp or something in the first couple days you're kind of just figuring out the lay of the land and everything like that i think that's where everybody's at but you know it, it seems like at least for right now everything's gonna you know hopefully run smoothly and and chug along and and this will actually get pulled off yeah i definitely of course went to uh many a hockey camp back in my day but yeah what stood out to me is kind of what you were touching on there is not only have things seem to be efficient but guys have said they feel safe and the nhl has had a lot of really encouraging news come out especially uh as we talk 
you know, compared to baseball, which as we're recording this on Tuesday has already been forced to basically like postpone the Miami Marlins season because they had an outbreak. So they're not going to play for, I think it's at least a week. Whereas meanwhile, the NHL uh, in its latest kind of testing update said nobody, literally zero people tested positive the last week of training camps. So if you figure if that carries over into the bubble and that no one tests positive the first you know five or so days in the bubble, then they have a real shot of pulling this off and keeping everyone healthy throughout, which would obviously be the number one priority is making sure that guys aren't putting their health at risk to you know play these games. And it certainly seems like they're not. And the players that we talked to yesterday, uh, Alex Tuck made sure to mention, you know, he feels safe in the bubble. They're kind of fenced off from the outside world. So there's not really anyone getting in that shouldn't be in. So it really does seem like, you know, like I said, I mean, compared to, you know, Major League Baseball, I mean, compared to Major League Soccer had two teams that had to drop out of the kind of getaway tournament they put together in Florida. Uh, the NHL seems to have gotten the best results so far uh, of anyone that's tried to return to play so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to the plan just in general that, you know, going all the way back to every contingency, every, you know, potential scenario, they seem to have at least some kind of plan for it. And to be quite honest, I think the best thing that the NHL did compared to all these other leagues was the testing in phase two. And they had more than half of the players and half the league, essentially, while these guys were voluntarily working out that were being tested and kind of being monitored and everything was sort of being logged at that point. And it put them in such a good position entering training camp. And then, like you said, they had zero positive tests entering the bubble. We'll see how that, you know, none of us know how this virus really, really spreads and works and and what's going to happen and, and exposure that could, you know, from a hotel worker who goes home. There's all sorts of, of possibilities that we've seen, you know, with this over the last four to five months and, and what could happen. But basically for right now, the optimism is high and, and everything seems to be, you know, at least pointing toward positive. No, totally. So let's talk about one thing that's not so positive for the Golden Knights. Smooth smooth segue there. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Uh, Which is the fact that not all of the Golden Knights are in the bubble right now. They're left one man behind in Las Vegas, and that man is left-wing Max Pacioretty, the Golden Knights' leading goal scorer and leading point scorer this season. He, of course, is dealing with a minor injury as we record this. Uh, He suffered it in training camp July 19th, so approximately nine days ago, and he has not practiced with the team since, uh, obviously, because he's not with the team right now. Uh, Pete DeBoer originally thought that Pacioretty could uh, rejoin the team for practice by the end of training camp. That obviously wasn't the case. DeBoer said multiple times that Pacioretty did not test positive for COVID-19, that it is you know, some sort of minor issue that's holding him back. But they essentially made the decision to uh, keep him back you know, in Las Vegas because they thought he had a better chance of getting better faster there. Before the Knights arrived in Edmonton, they weren't 100% sure what the setup would look like in terms of the ice time that they would get, kind of how everything would be laid out in terms of the weight room situation at the practice rink and everything. Because 
you know, Pete DeBoer said, those are the two big things. How much do we have access to a weight room so he can, you know, recover and try to gain strength and get back to 100% fitness? And then how much ice time do we have? Because that's one thing that's really crucial about having him at City National Arena is if we want Max Pacioretty to do kind of a, a, you know, a rehab skate for 45 minutes, Max Pacioretty can do a rehab skate for 45 minutes at City National Arena. If we want him to go an hour, an hour and a half, he can go for an hour and a half where in the bubble right now, they're restricted to kind of two hour blocks where not only the team has to practice, but the black aces have to practice too. the kind of call ups that the Knights are bringing to Edmonton for insurance purposes, but are kind of skating away from the main team. So the main team can have more productive practices. And so fitting in, you know, kind of a rehab skate on top of that uh, seemed like a lot. Though it also did seem like from what DeBoer has experienced the first couple days, Dave, that he's confident now that he's got the lay of the land that they could have made it work with Pacioretty if they, you know, knew Sunday what they know now. Yeah, and I think that's the case. I mean, I think they were trying to err on the side of caution as much as possible. And, you know, to the injury itself, I mean, kind of from day one with it, they tried to downplay it. He certainly tried to downplay it again today. Um you know, in terms of his arrival and didn't think it would be, you know, long, didn't said it was, you know, again, reiterating it was a minor injury, all those sorts of things. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, the hard part with all this and, and you know, with the media not being there um, and not getting in reports and, and obviously during the playoffs, we get even less than an upper body, lower body, you know, determination or just, um, you know, label, I guess, or whatever. it's just hard to know like is he going to be back for the for the round robin is he going to be back for the first round like and then if he's back for the first round he's got to ramp it up from zero to a hundred so so like there's there's that aspect of it and then without him you know you're talking about the leading score on the team so how do the knights kind of fill that gap and replace that i mean we saw nick cousins skating there in training camp but then we also saw you know, on a video from the team's social media site that Chandler Stevenson was wearing the white first line jersey yesterday. And we can kind of, I guess, put one and one together, come up with two and say that Chandler Stevenson is getting a look at left wing right now alongside William Carlson and Mark Stone. So there's some experimentation going on. And and clearly, anytime you're losing a guy who, you know, a 30 plus goal scorer was the leading scorer with 66 points, you know, and all that. Uh, it's a big hole uh, and and there's just some mystery behind it right now, as much as Pete DeBoer is trying to downplay it and emphasize that it's minor, you know, they left him home and, and I understand the rationale and, and it totally makes sense that, that they didn't know, but they also could have found out from the NHL. I feel right. Like they could have asked some questions and they could have got some reassurance. And w- what I thought was interesting was they said, it's like a two hour window that you would have. And, they didn't want to be restricted in that way. So, so I, I guess I get that. And if it's this, if it's as easy as they make it out to be for Max Pacioretty to arrive. So if they can put him on a private plane and then according to the NHL phase four protocol, if you arrive via charter private plane, then you don't have to serve a quarantine as long as you've been doing it before and, and have a certain number of positive tests beforehand, et cetera. So that's probably the category that he would fit in. And, and I guess if they feel like he's ready to go and they can drop him right in, 
then then that's the decision. But it to me, it's still a little bit peculiar, and it's definitely a little bit, I guess, concerning, or it raises the level of concern as to how long he's just going to be out. Right, and not just how long he's going to be out, but like you said, what's going to be, you know, the time that he's going to need to get back up to a hundred percent? Because if he's not going to, you know, be available for the round robin games, which we have no idea whether he will be available for the round robin games or will not at this point, you know, how much is he going to be shaking off the rust all of a sudden in the first round of a playoff series potentially? And you know, that's the tricky thing, too, is that there's just so much unknown because of how the NHL is treating injuries this postseason just because they don't want to inadvertently reveal that someone tested positive for COVID-19 if they're not comfortable revealing it. So everything is kind of clouded uh, under the same umbrella of unfit to play, you know, not unfit to play. And even though Pete DeBoer is giving us hints about, you know, it's a minor injury, there still isn't a really clear timetable in terms of, okay, is he, you know, day to day? Is he week to week? You know, what time are you expecting him in the bubble? Because as you said, Dave, I would assume that they're going to get a private plane for him, but there's probably uh, plenty of logistics that go into securing a, uh, you know, private plane, unless Bill Foley is willing to just loan him the, the night's private jet for a solo trip, which would be kind of hilarious and, and fascinating, but there's still so many questions when it comes to Max Pacioretty's status. And it's obviously a very big concern for the Knights, but it's hard to have a full grasp of just how concerning it is because there's, you know, so much that is not, you know, official. I mean, I was asked uh, on a radio show even this morning about, you know, Pacioretty's injury and what I thought. And the default answer almost always has to be, you know, there's, we don't know because you don't want to speculate because, there's just so much that, you know, the team is leaving unsaid with the way the NHL is handling this. Right. And I think you just that, that one sense that you said that normally we would get a day to day or a week to week or a month to month or something like that. And just to this point, you know, it that hasn't been disclosed. So it's kind of just all shrouded in mystery. And you know, like I'm actually I, I don't want to make light of the situation, but but. I, I'm kind of thinking if Max Pacioretty is like jumping on a private plane, like what can he bring on the plane versus what the other players could bring? Cause I bet he could bring some, some, some more stuff. He could probably pack a little heavier. You know, I saw William Carlson. I, I swear. I want to ask him about this. If we get him, he looked like he literally brought an entire like new TV. It was like a 24 inch. It was either a monitor or a TV. He had like a 24 inch something in a box <laughs> that he was boarding the plane with. I just like, I, you know, I guess if you think you're going to go there for two months, yeah, you know, pack heavy, go for it. That's, you know, but I, yeah, I, I, sorry. I don't mean to make light of the whole thing, but I, I, I do. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard to gauge, you, you know, the level of concern versus like what we would feel in the, in the regular season. Because we would have such a we would have such a better idea of of a timetable or a feel for it, you know. And the other thing too is just we didn't see really anything obvious with it. It wasn't like he crashed and went boom, you know. It wasn't like he got wiped out and you go, oh, that's a knee, or he got whacked and it was his arm. Like sometimes you can see in a game, or you know, we kind of saw him a little bit. He looked like he was tired, kind of hunched over at the end of practice. He finished, and then all of a sudden he was gone. So, yeah, I mean. It is one of those those weird, you know, shrouded and mystery sort of situations right now that we're going to get 
probably going forward a lot in the playoffs if you know injuries continue to pop up because like you said this is the way that things are going to get handled going forward they say a healthy gut means a healthy you favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code EDGE or DealDash.fm backslash EDGE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash EDGE. Yep, that's just kind of the, the way of the world now, and it's one of several new things that we'll all be dealing with this postseason. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because now that the Knights are in the hub, we actually can kind of talk about real-life hockey games again. Like I said, there's hockey being played right now. The Knights were going to play their first hockey game against someone that's not themselves on Thursday against the Coyotes. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Pete DeBoer said he's not planning on dressing any extra skaters for that game he would be allowed to put two extra guys on the bench so he could have either you know two extra forwards one extra forward one extra d or two extra d but he said he wants to treat it you know as close to a normal game as possible to get his guys ready for the round robin so you know don't expect any of those you know black aces to kind of be uh, sitting on the bench there uh, he also said he's not planning on splitting up his goalies at all which is something you see a lot of other teams do, you know, I just saw on Twitter, the Minnesota Wild have said, you know, in their goalie competition that they're going to have one goalie start the game and another goalie hop in midway through the game. So that way each kind of has some time to kind of show off a little bit. The Knights obviously have a little bit more uh, leeway time to make a goalie decision because they've got around Robin games as opposed to a, a play in round. But it's still interesting that like I said, DeBoer said he's not splitting time there, but he is going to split time overall where one guy is going to get the exhibition and a round-robin game, and the other guy is going to get two round-robin games. Uh, my question for you on, on that, Dave, is do you think Pete DeBoer is actually using kind of the, the two-game sample size to evaluate you know these two guys, Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, or... You know, is he just trying to buy time before he has to make a decision? Well, I think he knows he's going to probably need both of them at some point. I think it's an element of keeping them fresh, keeping them sharp, you know, give them both, you know, as much time to to prepare and get ready for the season as as they can. I mean, I, I buy it in the sense that, you know, if one guy is not ready, you have to go with the other one. And then, you know, you go from there and you have the luxury to 
to alternate. That's why they acquired Robin Leonard in the first place. Um, but I think all that being said, that he's probably got a plan in mind, at least going into this, of who's going to start game one. And he hasn't let on. I would guess it would be Marc-Andre Fleury, and maybe we could, I guess, assume if you start the exhibition game and he's going to continue to alternate, that whoever starts the exhibition would probably start game one. Um, I mean, I said before, I thought, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury seemed to take all the first reps in practice when they did, you know, special teams on both sides of the ice. They would start on his end. It it, it did seem like he was going to at least you know, have the the starting job to begin with. But, you know, I, I also heard <laughs> I also heard three different things about what channel the Golden Knights games were going to be on. So, you know, at this point, who knows with you know, with any of them, it's all it could all change. It's all up in the air and and whatever. But I, I do think Pete DeBoer's kind of got a plan in mind right now of of who his starter is. And I I don't necessarily think it's what we would say an open competition and and the guy who plays the best, you know, in in those exhibition games and and round robin is going to earn the nod. I I think he's got you know something that he's going to go with. But again, you know, if there's an obvious, you know, if there's if there if somebody really jumps out one way or the other, I mean, I think at this point, Pete DeBoer has to be flexible and and has to be willing to to just go with who he thinks is the hot hand. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because as we've touched on multiple times, that decision in a lot of ways is going to determine how the Golden Knights postseason goes because if you make the wrong decision or you end up getting maybe, I think, too cute with it and kind of flip between the guys too often, I think it can really uh, wreck the momentum of a team and the Golden Knights are a team that, uh, you know, using both guys down the stretch there before the season paused, was playing really, really good hockey. Uh, but, you know, we'll see who ends up coming out ahead in that battle. Uh, should I- Sorry, just really quick, I want to yeah. jump in and just say the offseason too. Like you talked yeah. about the postseason, but it could say, you know, it it could determine what happens in the offseason depending on, you know, who plays well, who doesn't. And, and, you know, I mean, if somebody leads them to the cup, I don't know. Maybe that changes their thinking, uh, you know, come October and November. No, it's all out there on the table, especially for yeah, a guy like Robin Leonard, who is an unrestricted free agent this offseason and is looking for the security that his career has uh, so often lacked. So I think he's you know got a lot on the line uh, whenever he is able to step into that crease for the Golden Knights. Uh, before we wrap up here, I do want to touch on some leftover training camp thoughts since the last time we recorded a a full podcast with just the two of us training camp was still ongoing we also recorded a podcast uh, last friday with golden knights defenseman john merrill which i encourage you guys to check out because we talked to him all about what he got up to during his uh quarantine period right after the nhl season paused his thoughts on returning to play his expectations for the bubble before he officially stepped inside i thought john had a lot of great stuff to say but you know to wrap up training camp a little bit the knights ultimately cut no forwards and two defensemen uh in camp they opted not to bring jake bischoff or jimmy schultz into the bubble so a uh, first round pick uh 2019 first round pick peyton krebs is in the bubble with the rest of the knights guys like patrick brown keegan colasar gage quinney 
uh, Reed Duke are in the bubble. Defensemen Nick Hague and Dylan Coughlin are in the bubble. Uh, Dave, were you surprised at all by the decision the Knights ultimately made? Or do you think they were uh, not stressing too hard over who, you know, their uh, 28th and 29th skaters would be, if I'm doing my math right? No, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if surprised is the right word. I mean, I guess at the start of camp, I would have figured that Jake Bischoff would make it just based on where you figure he is sort of in the pecking order as a guy that had called, you know, been called up early in the season, played, you know, three games and had a, had a taste of, of NHL experience. It felt like he was kind of, you know, on the cusp a little bit of, of being a guy who can maybe break through at some point, but he ends up being kind of a, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to say a training camp casualty. That's not the right word, but you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just as simple as he got beat out by Dylan Coughlin. Maybe it's as simple as something like Dylan Coughlin is a right-hand shot and, and Pete DeBoer, at least based on one thing that he said about Zach Whitecloud, you know, and why Zach Whitecloud having sort of an advantage when he came up as being a right shot, because the organization doesn't really have a lot of right shots on the blue line. And, and if you're going to kind of break down the roster and, and look at sort you know, those sorts of things, you know, for all the, the quality traits that Dylan Coughlin has, including a hard shot and the, you know, ability to feature on a power play and, and do some things like that, he shoots right-handed. And other than Derek England and Zach Whitecloud, they don't really have, they don't, they literally don't have anybody like that on the blue line. So I think maybe that was just something that gave him the nod in that regard. And then, you know, as far as Jimmy Schultz, no, not really entirely surprised because I just feel like, you know, at least as camp went on and he was playing forward. And I think we could kind of look at the the organizational depth chart and, and count it out and figure that he was probably the 11th or 12th guy, you know, you know, on, on defense. So I wasn't totally surprised to see, you know, Jimmy Schultz not make it. But I do think it's interesting that Peyton Krebs, you know, gets the experience and gets to be there. And I think it'll be really interesting if he gets a game. If they walk into a situation, say, for that round-robin game against Colorado, and if there's nothing on the line, maybe you put him out there. Maybe you give him a chance and, and say, all right, let's see what he's like in an NHL game. Let's see you know, what can happen. Give him the experience. Because he's up there. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, maybe one of my biggest takeaways from, from training camp in general is just what the organization thinks of Peyton Krebs and how highly they think of him. I just think it was obvious, you know, to get, it wasn't just about necessarily getting, getting him the experience. We didn't see him, you know, skating in the top four lines or anything like that in practice. I was kind of hoping actually that he would get a little bit of run on that first line when Patrick went out just to see it, just to say, okay, let's see what happens kid. When you play with, with Carlson and, and Mark Stone. Let's just let's just take a look, you know. But maybe maybe that's something you experiment with here in practice, you know, now that our eyes aren't there. And if you have a game that not to say it's a throwaway, but that you can, you know, do some different things with. I don't know. That would be to me, that would be the most interesting thing I think we could see from from the end of that round robin if especially if nothing's on the line. Yeah, no, I think that'd be fascinating because, like you said, there's you know, there's a semi decent chance that there could be you know virtually nothing on the line. Uh, as a reminder for people about those round robins, they're being played uh, four seeding. So the Knights, the Blues, the Avalanche, and the Stars, you know, all play each other once, 
and whoever has the best record out of that little mini tournament will come away with the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, ties go to the team with the better regular season points percentage. So in order, you know, that goes Blues, Abs, Knights, and Stars. So, you know, it's pretty simple to do the math uh, there. And so I do think, you know, if the Knights, for instance, lose their first two round robin games, it's pretty likely that they would have nothing to play for. It would actually be uh, probably very likely just because that means they would lose to the Stars because they play the Stars in their first uh, round robin game. So that would be an interesting time to see what DeBoer uh, could get out of a lot of the young guys they ended up bringing to camp, especially because that was one of my big takeaways is seeing how those guys looked on the ice because a lot of this team's depth right now, uh, you know, the scratches that they're probably going to go with uh, if everyone's fully healthy, which of course is not the case right now with Patch Ready out, uh, are Tomas Nosek, uh, John Merrill, and Derek England. And all three of those guys are unrestricted free agents this offseason. So that means that a guy like Dylan Coughlin or Nick Hegg might be, you know, next guy up when next season begins or guys like uh, Gage Quinney and Patrick Brown, both of whom I thought had really solid camps, could be, you know, the next guy up or the first call up if someone gets injured. And so I think it could be really interesting to see, you know, how those guys would play with the full team because they've both, you know, gotten a little bit of run. Quinney, I believe, has played three games with the Knights this season. Brown has only played one, but he did score in it which was uh, mighty impressive. Uh, it would be interesting to see kind of the next wave of uh, Golden Knights talent uh, get a little chance to to shine up in Edmonton. Yeah, and we talked about this. I mean, as things go forward and that salary cap stays frozen at $81.5 million, those guys on entry-level contracts, those guys on you know NHL minimum contracts, they become valuable when, when they can produce at the NHL level. It, it gives them more flexibility you know, with, with the roster and then you can allocate, you know, money in different areas. And, you know, we've talked about how hard it's going to be to re-sign Robin Leonard and, you know, all oh, they've got six point, you know, three or whatever million sort of, you know, projected to have to fill out the roster and all oh, that's going to be hard to, to, you know, re-sign Leonard. Well, you know what, maybe they get creative and, and maybe there's a way that they can, they can sign Robin Leonard. So, so those young guys that you talked about, you know, if things with the UFAs going forward work out the way that we would kind of guess that they would, I mean, it doesn't appear right now that those three would be back, which I think is, is and I'll shift a little bit, maybe even more fascinating, especially. And I mean, when you, especially when you look at Derek England, I mean, that's the one, I mean, I'll, look, I'll just throw it out there. Like he might have played his last game or is he going to play? another game in a gold Knights uniform. That's an interesting storyline. I think, you know, coming up here, um, he looked to be, you know, basically seventh or eighth defenseman, I guess, depending on, you know, how things would shake out. I mean, if Zach Whitecloud were, I guess, to be injured or to struggle, um, if they felt like Derek England needed to, you know, fit in a game and match up, you know, maybe physically against somebody, then yeah, he could get in there. But as of right now, like you mentioned, Ben, he would be one of the healthy scratches. So I don't, you know, I mean, we, we talked about so many different things and, and all of this could could play out in so many ways, but but especially with Derek England, I do that's one that's one storyline that I think is gonna be, you know, pretty fascinating going forward just because 
you know, the attachment that he has to the city and, and vice versa. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he does indeed get a game in on the round robin, as you mentioned, Dave. It's going to be interesting to see a lot of things play out now. But like I said, we're going to watch some hockey games in the next week. Uh, as I mentioned, Arizona Coyotes versus the Golden Knights in an exhibition game on Thursday. Then Golden Knights versus the Dallas Stars to start the round robin on Monday afternoon. Uh, then, you know, all of a sudden things will be really up and running. We'll, of course, bring you coverage of both those games at ReviewJournal.com. Check out all our written work there. Uh, I want to thank our presenters for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast, Favor, DrinkFavor.com, and Deal Dash. Uh, as a reminder, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts due to this podcast. Thank you all for listening so much. For Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.